you do that for a moment longer and just thank him? Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. What a glorious day that will be. But what a day today is. And we thank you that we can come together. Thank you, Jesus, that we can worship and exalt you. That we can publicly assemble. Hallelujah. That we can pray and make our needs known. That we can spend time in your presence. That we can read your scripture openly. That we can hear the word of God proclaimed. We worship you and we exalt you. We thank you and we praise you. What a day. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a glorious day. And we love you and thank you today, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? It is a beautiful day outside, a beautiful spring day. It's a beautiful day in here. And if you are new, if you are a guest with us, we welcome you. And I hope you feel the presence of God and you recognize there is something different here. And we want to invite you to come back. And for those of you who this is your church home, let us not ever take this for granted. It's a gift to come together. It is a gift to spend time in God's presence and in his kingdom. Thank you, Lord. You may go ahead and be seated. I suppose I should try to rush because, you know, my wife took three minutes of my time. Not that I was counting and knew she was three minutes and ten seconds over her allotted time, but if I were keeping a timer and tracking, I would have noticed that. So supposedly, I guess that means that I lose that three minutes and ten seconds off of my allotted time. Which is, by the way, a joke. I mean, we do kind of, all of us keep somewhat track of our time, but there, <laughs> there is no hard clock where Pastor Stephen has told us that, you know, you must stop at this time. He acts like that at times, and he enjoys, see, I'm looking around, those of you who are behind this pole, but you're nodding your head. He enjoys that uh, bluster, can I get away with saying that? But, it, but it's not real. <laughs> And I am glad to be here with you today. But if you will give me your attention for a few minutes longer, I do have a message to proclaim today. And I want to speak for a few minutes about this idea, the idea of kings and decisions. Kings and decisions. And we'll go ahead and jump directly into our scripture text. I do not have funny jokes to tell you like our pastor last week or something different like that. But I do have a few passages that I want to look at in the scriptures. And the first place we're going to stop is in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 8. And you can follow along up there or on your Bibles. And here we have what I consider to be a very interesting story. This shows up in Matthew chapter 8. The same story is also found in Luke chapter 7. So both Matthew and Luke record this example of when Jesus has this unusual interaction with someone who was not part of the kingdom of Israel. In fact, you'll see as we go through this passage, it's a very unique transaction because when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Greek text there says a centurion. Roman officer makes sense. That's fine. In other words, this is someone who is in charge of a group of military men. Centurions would have worked their way up through the Roman ranks. They would not have been someone given a commission. They would have earned it through their service. And after 20 years of military service, they would have been able to retire as a Roman citizen. Closest thing I could probably give you to today and our military would be something like a master sergeant. 
All right. This is not an officer in the sense that someone who was given a commission went to school, but someone who has worked their way up the ranks and is now in charge. Now, this is significant because remember that we're under martial law at this time. In essence, Israel is a conquered place. The Roman military has garrisons stationed in other nations around Israel and then in the major cities. And so here is someone in charge of a group of soldiers. In essence, for many of the Jews, this man is the enemy. This is a representation of this military force that has martial law and control over their land. And Jesus is this itinerant rabbi, this teacher, preacher, who's going around the countryside and talking about the kingdom of heaven. And now this military leader comes to him. And that's never good. You don't want Roman officers to come and talk to you. We're under martial law. And this Roman officer comes and, notice, pleads with him. He does not come with a command. He does not come to demand something of Jesus. Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Lord matters. This was a form of address. It could mean everything from sir as a sign of deference and respect all the way up to what we associate with the Lord, the idea of Lord, the idea of, of someone of deity. You referred to Caesar as Lord. Okay, so don't miss this. This Roman military officer comes to this wandering Jewish teacher and pleads with him and refers to him as Lord and says, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. And then Jesus said, I will come and heal him. So if you can imagine, they're not alone. There are people watching this interaction. Jesus has his disciples with him. He has just returned into the land. He's probably just finished teaching or explaining something somewhere. There's likely a crowd around watching this interaction. And this Roman military officer comes to him, out of deference refers to him as Lord, begs him to come heal his servant. And Jesus says, I'll come with you. So this is already a very weird, very unusual transaction. This is not something that you would expect normally to happen. But the officer said, watch this deference again. The officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. So this Roman officer says, no, 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 no. You don't need to come to my house. Jesus offered to go to his house. And he said, I am not worthy. So the man with the power, the man with the authority, the man who's got the backing of the Roman military behind him is the one telling Jesus, please help me. But don't come. I'm not worthy to even have you enter my home. And we're getting all kinds of errors here. I know this because I am under authority from my superior officers, and I have authority over my own soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. This Roman officer understood something that most of the people around Jesus did not, something that they had already missed. 
Can you go to the next slide? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Now remember, there's a crowd of people standing around listening to this. The Jewish people, his own people. And he has just said to the military leader of the invading force, you have greater faith than everybody else listening to me right now. You understand something about me that nobody else here is getting. Because this man was under authority. He had authority. He understood what authority was. And he defers conquered land. He defers to this traveling teacher, this rabbi. And he says to him, your Lord. And he says to him, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. If you will just speak this command, I know that you can make this happen. Next slide. Jesus continues talking not to the Roman officer, but to the crowd that's around them. So again, this, this tells you there are people listening. I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and from the west, and they will sit down with who? Watch this, the fathers of Israel, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is looking forward to this future celebration someday. And he says, there'll be many Gentiles coming from all over the place to sit down with your forefathers, your leaders. Next slide. But many Israelites, many of you who are listening to me right now, those for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Next slide. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. This military officer understood something that almost everybody else around Jesus had missed. What was it he understood? He understood that he was in the presence of a king. And he was the invading army, but he knew who had superiority. He knew who had real authority. And he recognized something in Jesus that Jesus' own countrymen did not recognize. And he knew that he was speaking to a king, and he did not deserve to be in his presence. And so he pleaded his case and said, if you will just say the command, you don't even have to come with me. You don't have to touch me. You don't have to enter my home. You don't have to do anything special. If you will just speak it, I know that it will happen because you have authority and I know what authority looks like. And this foreigner, this Gentile, this military officer saw something the people traveling with Jesus missed and he knew that he was in the presence of a king. Kings have authority. Kings speak things and make them happen. Kings don't need permission. Kings do as they will and as they please. And this officer understood that. And so he deferred to this king and he said, you just speak it and it'll happen. I know it will.
Let me jump to another story in the Gospels, completely different example. Now this is Jesus talking to the people he is the closest to, and yet there's still this lack of understanding. We're going to jump over into the end of John 21. Let's see if it'll cooperate now. Forgive me, my iPad's having trouble today. John 21, this is the very end of the Gospel of John. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared multiple times in the John story. They've gone fishing, basically, because they don't know what to do. Peter has gone back to his trade. John has gone back to his trade. These men were professional. This was their occupation. They were commercial fishermen before following Jesus. Now they've gone back to it. Jesus shows up on the seashore that morning. And he invites them to sit down and have breakfast with him once again. And so this conversation takes place after that breakfast meal. And he says, Peter, come walk with me for a while. And so you can imagine Peter and Jesus have kind of separated a little bit from the rest of the group. And they are walking down the seashore by the Sea of Galilee. And I have no idea what is going on right now. John 21, verse 15. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. These probably referring to fishing and the fish and and what he was doing, what he knew to do. Do you love me more than all of this, what you know? Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Next slide. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Next verse. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. I would be too. I mean, to be fair. Rachel says to me, baby, do you love me? Yes, baby, you know I love you. I mean, do you really love me? Yes, baby, you know I love me. Do you love me? I can't win at this point. So here, Peter, probably out of exasperation, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He's calling him back away from the boats, away from his professional career. Next slide. I tell you the truth. Now, here's where things start getting real uncomfortable. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And others will dress you and they will take you where you do not want to go. So he's foreshadowing something. He's talking about Peter's death at some point in the future and that Peter was going to be executed. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said... Peter, would you please, kindly, I beg you with ever so sweet words, decide that maybe one day you will choose to do what I'm asking you to do. No. He just told him, when you were young, you did what you want, but when you're old, someday, someone else is going to dress you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch out your hands in a way you don't want. Church history tells us that eventually Peter was crucified. And then after making this statement, he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. 
This wasn't an option. This wasn't a request. It was a command. You really love me than all of this? You love me more than your own choices? You love me more than your professional career? Someday I'm going to ask something of you that you don't want to pay. Someday it's going to cost you everything. Do it anyways. This is a hard, hard thing. And we see Peter struggle with this. And I would probably be feeling the same way because look at the next verse. And remember, they're walking along the shore. I imagine they're a little bit separated from the rest of the group. They're not way down the shore, but just, you know, maybe just out of hearing distance. Can you go to the next slide? If it'll cooperate. Peter turned around and he saw behind them. So again, they're, they're walking. They're, you know, 10, 15 away, just 15 feet away, just a little bit out of earshot of everybody else. And Peter turns around and he saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and had asked, Lord, who will betray you? We're talking about John. You can go to the next verse. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And to be fair, we would all be doing the exact same thing at this point. Because Jesus has just told Peter someday this is going to cost you everything. And you're going to die for this. Do it anyways. And Peter's looking around. What about that guy? What about him? And it's not a random him. This is the beloved disciple. This is probably the one that Jesus was the closest to. History tells us, by the way, he was the youngest. Peter is likely my age. John is probably 17, 18, something like that. Late teenager. And he's the favorite of the group. At least that's the way they feel. And Jesus has just told him, someday you're going to be executed for this. And he turns around and looks at that kid that everybody likes. What about the boy? Right? It sounds funny, but you'd be in the exact same place. Watch the response of a king who just commanded him, follow me. Next slide. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Kings don't ask permission. Kings don't need you to like them. Kings don't need you to be appreciative of what they've said. They need you to follow instructions. And so Peter, in a hurt place, in a scared place, did something very human that probably all of us would do because Jesus just told him, you're going to die for this. And his response was, what about the boy? And Jesus doesn't coddle him. He doesn't comfort him. He doesn't tell him it's going to be okay. His response is, what does it matter? Why do you care what happens to him? I'm not talking about him. I'm talking to you. I just said, follow me. And he repeats the command in case Peter has missed it. Follow me. Jesus is not acting like his buddy at this point. Jesus is acting like a king. And it's starting to click. They're really starting to finally see what kind of power and authority this man is who walks on water, who raises the dead, who raises himself from the dead. What kind of authority the man has who can speak to things 
that are not as though they were. And he looks at him and he says, follow me for the second time. I love the idea of a savior. It's easy to preach about a God who loves us and who cares for us and who died at Calvary to take our place and pay the price of our sin. And that is absolutely true. I'm not taking anything away from that. But there's another side of that equation. Because the one who died to take our place, the one who paid that price, has the right, has the authority to ask in return, I paid that price for you. He died in Peter's place. And in Peter's case, he said, one day you are going to die. And it's going to cost you everything. Follow me anyways. And Peter, like the rest of us, said, what about them? Right? What about this? In other words, Peter is saying, I don't think this is fair. Just like all of us do at times. And his response is, I don't care what you think. What I do with him is none of your business. I gave you a command. Do it. And so the great God of love and grace and mercy in this moment is also King Jesus. And he's not interested in how Peter feels at this moment. Understand, there's a balance to everything. But in this moment, he's speaking as a king. And the king just gave a command. And if we really believe this gospel message then we're faced with decisions, kings and decisions. Either he's king or he's not. And if he is king, then we have a decision to make. And the reality is often it's not a decision, it's a group of decisions. And it will happen over and over throughout your life because there are times when Jesus will speak to you and he will comfort you in a time of loss. There are times when God's presence will be with you and he will speak to you and guide you And there are times when his peace will come into your life in terrible situations. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And there are times when the great healer touches your body and brings you relief. And there are times when the king of everything speaks to you and says, I need you to do fill in the blank. And it's really easy to love him when he's comforting. And it's really easy to love him when he speaks a message of peace. It's really easy to praise him when he heals you. Our friend Arash this morning already alluded to the fact that we've got this prayer book we're starting because we do. We get amnesia when God speaks to us. And we ask a request and then he grants it and we thank him and we move on. And God does this over and over through our life. And it's easy to forget that. But what about when he asks us to do hard things? When he begins to nudge you and he's prodding you. And you may not like what he's asking. Is he still king in that moment? He just looked at Peter and said, someday this will cost you everything. Do it anyways. So King Jesus has just given Peter a command. And I don't know what the future holds. And I hope that I'm not speaking to anybody, myself included, where God requires that level of command. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. But he reserves that right, and he doesn't have to apologize for it, and he doesn't have to make excuses for it. He doesn't have to explain it. Notice, he didn't explain to Peter what happens here. 
He said, what I do with him is none of your business. You do what I tell you. Kings don't have to explain themselves. They issue commands. And if he's our king, then there are times in our life when we are faced with decisions. Let's jump now back to a different passage. We're going to go to the Old Testament. Can you pull up the slides from Isaiah 45? Uh, this is stop working altogether down here. Now, this passage, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, is in the middle. I'm jumping right in the middle. Just give you a little context. Isaiah 45. Isaiah is giving a proclamation against foreign nations. He's giving a proclamation against craftsmen and people who make and manufacture idols, those who actually form the molds and craft them and create them, and then people who worship idols. And God is speaking against this idol worship. All right? And so he sets up this contrast, and he says, For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he put everything in its place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he said, and there is no other. Next slide. I publicly proclaim bold promises. Publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I love that verse. This is a king speaking. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true, and I declare only what is right. So there's good news. Kings speak with authority, but there's not confusion there. You don't have to second guess what he's telling you. He'll be plain, and he can be found if we'll listen for him. Next verse. Gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. Notice again, it's an invitation to all. We see it even here. He's inviting them in. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols, and they pray to gods that cannot save. I'll get to us in a second. Don't laugh too hard at them. Next verse. Consult together. All right, hold a conference. Get your panel together. Pool your ideas. Make your case. Get together. Decide what to say. Who made these things known so long ago? What idol ever told you that they would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. This is a king making it clear that I am the only king and the only one with authority. Next verse. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. But again, notice even in the command, this hope. He says, gather in. He throws open the invitation to anyone. He says, I am where salvation is found. You won't find it anywhere other than me, but you can find it with me. I proclaim bold promises. I don't whisper in the corner. Next verse. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Listen to a king. Every knee will bend to me. That's submission. That is someone who demands sovereignty. And he makes it plain, someday, every knee will bend to me. 
every tongue will declare allegiance to me. So the king speaks. This is all future tense. That implies there's a choice right now. Kings and decisions. But there's good news. You can do it freely today. And the blessings and the benefits that come from that. Or you can wait till King Jesus shows up in your life someday. And you will profess him as king. Whether by choice or by force. We see this passage is picked up twice by Paul in the New Testament, both Romans and Philippians, and he makes it clear every knee will bend. It is going to happen someday. Every tongue will confess him as king. But as our pastor last week talked about good news and bad news, right? Here's the bad news if you look at it the wrong way. You don't have a choice at some point. But the good news is you have a choice right now, and you can choose life. Last passage, if you'd pull over into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, in essence, is a sermon. Moses is at the end of his life. He has led the people of Israel through the wilderness for the last 40 years. He's been this incredible leader. And he knows he's dying. And Deuteronomy, he's gathered everybody together at the shore. They are about to go into the promised land. And this is the old man. He's 120 at this point. And it's his last chance to talk to these people. And the entire book of Deuteronomy was one speech, one long sermon, if you will, of he reminds them of the law and he reminds this next generation that's going to go on without him what it is that they need to do. And we're getting towards the end of his message now in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And look at what the man says. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice. Kings and decisions. Today, I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Next verse. For I command you this day, command, I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you are about to enter and occupy. Next verse. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and to worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long and good life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. There's good news today. The king of the universe has let us know I am king. And one day, you will bow. One day, you will profess my kingdom. But I offer you a choice today, a choice between life and death. And oh, that you would choose life. There are good things that I have in store for you. But if you're stubborn and you insist on doing it your way, 
and you walk away to idols. Now, it's easy for us to dismiss this as something from the Old Testament because we probably don't have a wooden carved image in our backyard that we bow down to and pray to, right? And we think of them and their ignorance as something they're doing. Can't you tell that's just a statue? But we have idols in our lives too. If we're honest with ourselves, there are things, something that takes God's place, something you love more than God, that becomes an idol. And he's a jealous God. He's a jealous king, and he has the right to do that. And he says, you put anything else before me, you make something else more important than obeying me, that's an idol. And you have the option to do that. But someday, you will profess me as king. So if you're here today, and God has been dealing with you, and I don't care if you've never heard this message before or if you've been living to God for 40 years, God speaks to all of us in different ways at different times. And sometimes he nudges us. And sometimes he speaks very, very plainly. And sometimes I love the words of affirmation that God gives me. And sometimes a king commands something. And I'm an American. I don't have a king. I'm independent. We're a nation of cowboys. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, which is a lie, by the way. It's all American mythos, but we love our story, right? This idea of a self-made nation, which isn't true, but it's the way we tell our story. It's bred into the air we breathe. We love this idea of being our own thing and picking our own way. But there is a king. And he demands fealty. He demands allegiance. And he gives you the choice now. And sometimes he asks night things. And sometimes he asks difficult things. But kings don't ask permission. Kings command. Peter, follow me. What about the boy? I'm not talking to you about the boy. Doesn't matter what I do with the boy. That's none of your business. I told you, follow me. Well, God, what about my brother or sister? What are they? It doesn't matter. I'm asking you to do fill in the blank. Kings issue executive orders, and it applies to everyone, but kings also issue personal commands, and they turn to their attendants, and they turn to their generals and their leaders, and they say, you go and do this. What is the Lord speaking to you today? Perhaps it's a word of encouragement or affirmation. Or maybe God is talking to you. He's been prodding you. He's been poking you. And he's been saying, I, I need you to do this for me. Oftentimes when he says, I need you to do this for me, it's really for your benefit, even if you don't like it, even if it hurts and it's painful. And as you stand with me today, and as I come to a close, I come with a simple message today kings and decisions and when you're in the presence of a king and we are in the presence of the king today and he asks you to do something you've got a decision to make and on one hand there's death but on the other hand there's life as we saw in that Deuteronomy passage as Moses implores that nation he says oh that you would choose life God has good things for us But we have a decision to make where we listen to a king. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to you, I pray that you speak to us. 
Sometimes you ask of us scary things, difficult things. But I pray that we would listen and we'd be obedient to what you tell us. Kings and decisions, we're, we're in the presence of the king today. And we all have decisions to make. And we make these decisions over and over and over and over. And we walk with you our lifetime. And whether this is the first time we're making the decision or it's the hundredth time, help us to listen to you. And as we spend time with you today, I want to invite all of you, whether you come down front or whether it's in your pew, let's spend a moment in prayer. Will you let the king speak to you? Will you let him ask of you what he will? It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes they're very good things. And in fact, it's never a bad thing. It's just that sometimes it's a difficult thing. But when he asks us difficult things, will we choose to listen? Oh, yes, Jesus, I pray that your presence is with us and I pray that you strengthen us and help us to listen. Oh, Jesus, let us be obedient to you. As we stand in the presence of a king and we make decisions.